Okay, pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for drive to work. Okay, as I pull out today, it is raining. What does that mean to all of you? It probably means an extra long podcast. Because here's the secret. Seattleites cannot drive in the rain. Now, here's the thing I don't understand, real quickly, which is, I would understand if Seattleites couldn't drive in the not rain, you know, it's strange to us that the, the drive, the, the, you know, the, the, the road is not slick. And how do you drive when you have traction? But, because it, it rains all the time here, so I don't, anyway. A little side note, I don't get it, but hey, my aggravation is your longer podcast. So, today, I decided we're going to talk about Urza's Saga. One of the bigger, uh, uh, I'll call it mess-ups we've had, um... So the interesting thing about Urza Saga was I was both on the design team and on the development team. There's not tons of set that's true of, a few. This is one of them. Um, so let me quickly run through. So the design team was uh, myself, Mike Elliott, uh, I believe Bill Rose, and Richard Garfield. But that's a little misleading because Richard wasn't on the team. Wait a minute. Why is he listed on the team? The reason is, if you've been paying attention to my podcast... Uh, during Tempest, uh, uh, Richard designed the mechanic called Cycling, which I had a whole podcast on. Um, and we didn't end up using it until the following year, Urza Saga. So, although Richard did not work on Urza Saga, he gets credit. Um, as a general rule of thumb, uh, while we're talking about credits, I'm a big believer in, you know, being as fair as possible with credits. I, I don't, I, I would much rather give more people credit if, you know, I don't want people not to get credit for work they've done. And so I, I'm a big, big believer of, look, if, if there's any doubt, let's give the person credit. And obviously Richard made a mechanic, which was a major part of the set, so we gave him credit, and rightfully so. Um, so let me talk a little bit about uh, uh, Mike Elliott and Bill Rose. I've talked about them in previous times. Um, in this set, this was Mike's first large set. He had been on Tempest with me. Uh, he, he and I had done Stronghold, and then Exodus, he let Exodus all by himself. Um, and then this was the first set that he had done, you know, solely, uh, as a large set that he had done as the lead designer. Um, and there was a lot of, uh, give and take. Um, like I said, uh, Mike and Bill and I were the three big designers at the time. Uh, we were the ones that would, uh, go do Invasion two years later. I talked about my Invasion podcast. Uh, it's, it's like my column. I keep linking things, except I can't link in a podcast, but... If you haven't listened to my other podcast, please, please go do. Um, I, I'm trying hard to assume you've listened to previous ones when I do current ones so that there's some continuity. And uh, But anyway, I, I will reference other ones when I know I'm talking about things that you might want to listen to if you haven't listened to, and I recommend you do. Um, now, the development team for the set was uh, Mike Elliott, William Jockish, Bill Rose, Mark Rosewater, Henry Stern, and Beth Morrison. Now, Beth Morrison uh, was the rules manager of the time, um, Maybe one of these days I'll talk about the rules manager. That's a fine podcast. But anyway, uh, Beth was the, the, the rules manager at the time. Uh, so the five people on the development team were, interestingly, the five people in Magic R&D. Um, what happened was, when I first got hired, for about three years, pretty much, uh, the five of us, I mean, Henry didn't start till, um, till Tempest, but uh, during that time, like... There, was, there wasn't shifting development teams, just the guys who were the Magic R&D people, we were the development team. 
Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, I've talked a lot about Mike and I've talked a lot about um, Bill in previous podcasts. Let me talk a little bit about, about William and Henry. Um, so Henry Stern was a friend of mine. Um, I actually met Henry when I lived in L.A. So before I moved up to, and took a job at Wizards, I lived in Los Angeles. I was trying to do my writing thing. And uh, for those that don't know, I, I had some, some career down in Hollywood writing for TV. Uh, not a giant career, but some. Um, and uh, part of, I started working part-time at a game store because I was going a little store-crazy in my apartment. Um, and in the game store, one day, Henry Stern came in. Uh, looking for magic cards, I believe. And I had a policy at the time, which was we had a demo deck that I would show people because I learned quickly. If I just showed you magic, I could sell you magic in a heartbeat. So I had a little demo deck that I would demo with. Um, And one of the things I say to people is, I will trade you card for card. Um, You had to match a rarity. And I had a rough idea of the rarity at the time. It it wasn't super public, but I I had a sense of what was rare, what, 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 what wasn't. Um, but you could trade me. You had to trade me the same rarity, and it had to be a card that wasn't currently in the deck. But a lot of Magic players, kind of, it was a chance for them to sort of get some cards they didn't have. Um, and Henry took advantage of that. Um, it's very funny, by the way. I, I got yelled at by my, my manager for doing that at the game store. But I kept doing it on the slide. Um, so anyway, um, Henry and I became friends. We, uh, uh, there was an active Los Angeles Magic playing community uh, centered around the the Costa Mesa Women's Center, where Scott Letterbee uh, and, and others ran uh, the tournament. So it was a little ways away from L.A., but that was kind of where the, the hub of the L.A. magic scene was. And Henry and I were very involved in it. So um, later, um, I was asked by Joe or Bill or somebody if there's anybody I could recommend for R&D. Uh, and I recommended Henry. Um, meanwhile, by the way, what had happened was Henry ended up top making top four at 95. He was top two at 95 nationals, top four at 95 worlds. Um, he lost at U.S. National to Mark Justice, and then both he and Mark Justice made the semis, but each of them lost in the finals in 95. Um, Henry lost to Mark Hernandez. And b- by the way, Henry had like five turns to draw a fourth, and he would have gone to the finals, and his deck was a great matchup against Alexander Blumke, who won. So Henry was very close to being the world champion, but he wasn't. Then, the following year, uh, I think after we had already hired Henry, he had wanted one last hurrah, so he played in 96 World, and he top four again. So Henry actually has the claim of back-to-back world top fours, which not a lot of people can claim. Uh, interestingly enough, Mark Justice can. Uh, Henry and Mark Justice both did that. Mark made the finals of the 96 National, uh, but he lost to Tom Champagne, who won. Um, did a little history for you. Uh, okay, so uh, we hired Henry on. Henry... Henry was a blast. I liked Henry a lot, obviously, a friend of mine. Um, but Henry was very particular, and definitely, um, he, he cut to the meat of the bone. Um, he, he would not mince around. Like, Henry was not the kind of person that, if he had criticism, would, would at all, like, worry about, like, he would tell you to you straight. Uh, and one thing I liked a lot about working with Henry was, you know, he would go after the problem, and he would tell you what he thought the problem was. Um, and his instincts were pretty good. Um... The biggest problem that Henry and I had, which is interesting enough, like I said, we were very good friends, is I tended to work on a gut level. Um, I remember one time we were sitting in a file and some card came up. I don't remember what the card was, but I said, oh, well, guys, I, I don't know. I have, I have a bad feel about this card. 
I'm a little worried. Does anybody else kind of feel that maybe this card's a problem? And Henry's like, well, what, what's your facts? Like, I don't have facts. I just have a feeling. And he's like, look, come back to me when you got facts. You know, feeling doesn't do us any good. And I ended up taking Henry aside. I'm like, Henry, I understand, you know, you are a logical guy. But look, I'm, I work a little differently. I'm just saying, hey, I got a lot of instinct. My instincts are saying something. I wasn't going to act on my instincts alone, but hey, I wonder if other people are having similar feelings based on whatever criteria they do. And Henry realized that, and, and we were good. I mean, I think Henry realized that he and I worked really differently. Um, I, what I find in R&D is because I'm very instinctual, that I tend to make a lot of gut calls that I don't have at the time evidence to prove. Uh, and, and it took me a while. I mean, eventually, I, I have enough cred, you know, that people sort of start, like, well, Mark knows what he's talking about. Uh, but before that kind of build up, uh, there definitely was a lot of sort of me being a little too, you know, uh, well, I think this feels wrong. And people are like, what are you talking about? Anyway, I like Henry a lot. Henry's go get him. You know, definitely a, a very serious but fun. Um, one of the quirky things about Henry, I like telling quirky things that are outside of design. Um, so Henry, uh, Henry's very, one of the things we used to joke about is, uh, if you ever went to a restaurant with five people and they try to seat you at a four-person table, you just stick Henry on them. Henry would not let that happen. Henry was not one to let things happen that he did not want to have happen. Um, also, as a little quirky trivia note, uh, Henry does not like either gum nor mint. So if you were mint, if you were chewing mint gum near him, he would ask you to spit it out. Anyway, uh, on to William Jockish. So William got the job because um, he wrote a letter to um, Richard Garfield. William was a math professor and... Um, I don't know, he, somehow that letter entertained Richard, and Richard gave him a job. Um, now, William was, in the early days, he was the closest to what we think of modern-day developers, meaning he was math-based and very much about criteria, and, you know, where a lot of the rest of us, I mean, when push comes to shove, Mike and I really were more designers than we were developers, and Bill was kind of 50-50 split, but even Bill uh, did not have sort of a pro-player sensibility. William was the one that was most kind of like, had, would make decks and, you know, have sort of actual, like, numerical evidence to try to prove things. Um, the quirky thing about William was he just would get pet theories in his head, and we would have fights where he's like, this card's okay, but if we print this card, it might encourage us to make four more copies of it, and 20 of these cards would be a problem, you know. And we're like, well, we're not going to make 20, we're just making one. He's like, ah, that's a slippery slope. Uh, anyway, William was a blast. Uh, William was a lot of fun. The, uh... These are fun Williams. Oh, here's my favorite William story. Uh, is William used to have pizza for lunch every day. And one day, uh, he used to order it in. He had delivered. So one day he gets a phone call. He picks up the phone. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, this is William. Yeah, pepperoni. Okay, bye. I'm like, well, what was that? He goes, oh, the pizza place called. I hadn't called them. They wanted to make sure that, you know, I got my pizza. And we're like, you got the pizza place to call you? <laughs> that, my friends, by the way, uh, a fine accomplishment. So anyway, um... So Urza Saga, when we set out to make it, so let me explain our background here. So um, Mike, Ryan, and I pitched the Weatherlight Saga. So the plan was, it was a three-act structure story, what we pitched. So the first act took place in Tempest, akin to what happened, although there's a third-turn act where the story kind of wasn't ours anymore. Uh, and then in our version of the story, the, they escaped into Mercadia. Uh, the Mercadia that we had in mind and the Mercadia that got made in Candy Masks are not remotely close to the same thing. Um, the idea that Michael and I had pitched was definitely a city world, but that's about where it deviates. 
Um, we liked a lot the idea of, and this wasn't a skull shaper, so maybe this part to say a little bit, but of people peddling magic. Uh, it was a city where magic was the commodity. Um, and because that's what we were doing, we went down this path of doing an Enchantment Matters block. You know, it's a world in which magic's a commodity. Oh, well, enchantments make a lot of sense here. So, we went off and made an Enchantment Matters uh, set. And, and by the way, everybody said, that's not Enchantment. So, well, let me explain what happened. Is, for starters, um, there was a big shift. The story got taken away from me and Mike. And some story I'll get to one day. Um, and the team decided that before they went to Arcadia, they wanted to go back to the past and do a prequel and show Urza. Because I think we hadn't really involved Urza in the story, and they wanted to involve Urza in the story. So we were going to do a prequel. Um, by the way, a little side note, the name we had wanted for the set was not Urza's Saga, but Urza's Odyssey. And for some reason, we weren't allowed to do it, which makes no sense since we did Odyssey not too much later. But anyway, uh, it ended up called Urza's Saga, not Urza's Odyssey. Um, and so what happened was, we had a set built around enchantments, and they're like, but we want to go do, you know, a prequel about Urza. We're like, well, but Urza's an artificer. He's all about artifacts. This, this set isn't about artifacts. It's, it's about enchantments. Um, and, and by the way, for those that doubt it's about enchantments, go to Gatherer, search for Urza Saga enchantments. You'll be interested to see how many enchantments are in the set, because the answer is a lot. Anyway, so then it becomes about Urza, Urza even though we built it about enchantments. And then to make matters worse, the creative team dubs it which goes on the box, the artifact block, or artifact cycle, I think. The artifact cycle. We're like, okay, it's Urza, the artificer, it's called the artifact cycle. Yeah, I'm not sure our enchantment theme's going to come through all that strong. And then, on top of it, the set had a lot of broken cards, some of which, not all of which, but some of which were artifacts. So, uh, it didn't really go down in history as being the enchantment block, even though, uh, especially in Limited, it very much was. Anyway, so... Um, so what happened was the two main mechanics were cycling and echo. Uh, cycling was made by Richard Garfield. Uh, echo was made by Mike uh, Mike Elliott. Both of which were made during Tempest Design. Or, or to be fair to Mike, uh, I think uh, Echo actually came from Mike had made his own set, which can I remember the name of it? Uh, I don't remember the name. It's the it's the same place as Slivers came from. Uh, I don't remember the name of his set. But the idea was. There was some great creature that fell to Earth and broke into slivers, and I don't remember what Echo had to do with it. But anyway, Mike had this set, and when he was hired, Wizards bought the set. And so a lot of Tempest had stuff driven from that set that Michael had done, one of which was Echo. Um, and I liked Echo, but it just, I mean, we had too much stuff going on, uh, and it got pulled during development. I, I actually put it in the design, although in small numbers, and they decided that it was wor- you know, worthy of carrying more weight, so they took it out. Um, it's funny, by the way, that we've been shifting away in recent days from doing what we call downside mechanics. And Echo is very funny that is it upside or is it downside? Uh, people tend to think of it as downside because, oh, you have to pay this extra cost. What they're missing is really what happens is here's the cost. You get to spread it out over two turns. That's a positive ability. But anyway, usually when the positive is it's cheaper than it normally would be, that's a little harder for people to get because... Uh, most people aren't good at costing cards, so they don't get that it's a mana cheaper, usually. Okay. Now, the other mechanics that were um, here is... Um, so, in uh, Ice Age, the Ice Age um, team introduced a concept that got nicknamed cantrips. 
Uh, a cantrip, by the way, if everyone's ever wondering, is a small magical spell. Uh, it's meant to mean if you're a wizard, it's it's a, a little showy thing that isn't particularly powerful, but just you know if you kind of want to show off you're a wizard, it, there's small little tiny splashy effects. So the idea of cantrips, oh, they're little small effects. Um, now in in Urza's I'm sorry, in Ice Age, they delayed the draw of the card because they wanted to make a card called Urza's Bobble that was broken, and so they convinced themselves they needed to delay the draw for till the next turn. Uh, in Mirage, we figured out that, no, you could just draw the card. It wasn't necessary. Um, so anyway, we brought Cantrips back, and Cantrips became uh, sort of evergreen, but, but not completely evergreen. Uh, Bill and Joel, I believe, at the time, felt that Cantrips were better served if they weren't used all the time. Now, I fought against that because I feel like the thing that you keep is something in which there's great excitement for it, you know. I have this thing, I take it away, when I come back, people are very excited for it. I just didn't feel cantrips kind of thing like, oh, now with cantrips, like, I just didn't feel this kind of thing was going to excite people, and I felt like it was a really good tool, because a lot of times when you're costing something, sometimes it's hard to get the effect you want at the right cost, and cantrips allows you to goof around, especially with really cheap things. Like, sometimes you have effects that are smaller than one mana, well, how do you make those? Well, if you make them under cantrip, you can make, you know, one, two mana spells that can do that, you can make that effect that you normally couldn't. Um, so anyway, it was decreed that we could not have cantrips in Urza Saga because we had cantrips in Mirage, I think, and Tempest. So heaven forbid, we had exhausted cantrips. We had to give them a rest. Um, so I got to thinking. I said, okay, well, what, what is a cantrip when you boil it down? Uh, and I said, okay, a cantrip is uh, a, a spell in which um, you get an extra card. So you don't lose card equity. Um, so I was like, okay, well, what if... We change it. Instead of it costing mana, but you're not losing a card, what if it costs a card, but you didn't lose mana? Now, how do you do that? Um, well, clearly, you can't just build a castle without a cost, because then the cost doesn't mean anything. So that's when I stumbled across the idea of um, spells in which you had to have a threshold to cast it, but once you did, you got the mana back. Um, and I decided at the time to um, untap your land rather than add the mana to your mana pool. Which is funny, because there is a card um, in the set that actually adds the mana to your mana pool. Um, uh, black card, the 2-2 the creature. Anyway, um, Yogmoth... Uh, I'm so bad with names. Uh, you guys... Priest, 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 no, Priest Yogmoth is from Antiquities. Anyway, there's a card there. Uh, people, people can look it up. Uh, so, um, I pitched the idea of free spells, which were, okay, well, this spell only costs... You know, cost four mana, but if you have four mana, you can untap four lands. So it turns out the untapping lands would kind of come to burn us. Uh, and let me explain. Uh, so we had made a bunch of different lands that did different things. Three of them were lands that tapped and gave you mana equal to a certain card type. So one tapped for creatures, one tapped to mana equal to enchantments, and one tapped to mana equal to artifacts. I don't know why we didn't do lands... And maybe that one felt broken. I, I have no idea. Uh, and so uh, ended up being Gaze, Cradle, Sarah Sanctum, and Tolarian Academy. Um, originally, all three of them tapped for colorless mana. But meanwhile, we were making two other spells. I'm horrible with names. But one involved black mana, one involved red mana. And we realized that we had five spells that could all hook into color. Uh, and when we thought about it, we're like, oh, well, creatures make a lot of sense as green mana. Enchantments make a lot of sense as white mana. And artifacts make a lot of sense as blue mana. So... Um, yes, what is my contribution to Toledo Academy? Saying, wait, wait, colorless, how about blue? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, the free mechanic and I made, or the, 
I made Tillerian Academy tap for Blue Mana. Uh, so I might be partially responsible for some of the craziness about to happen. Um, and so the free mechanic, because it untapped things, had this weird thing because the, the set had multiple ways to get uh, more mana out of a, you know, multiple mana out of a single land. Uh, it allowed you to not only have a free spell, it actually was negative mana because you could go up in mana. Um, and that's one of the problems with the free spells is normally if you if a spell is too strong, you can add one mana to it and weaken it. But the free mechanic, there are, there are spells that get stronger when you add mana to it. So, like, it's a weird mechanic. Um, it might be the most broke mechanic I've ever made. I don't know. I made a bunch. I made dredge. Uh, I, I, I think... Anyway, uh, it's a pretty broken mechanic. Now... The funny thing is, we put, uh, is it Recall? Not Recall. See, here's what you learn about, by the way, as a designer. I, I have way too many. Magic's made 13,000 cards or something crazy, and I just not, I, my brain cannot keep all the information. Plus, when I make cards, by the way, another side thing, I never use the real names of cards. I'm playing playtest cards. I have goofy names. It's not Trepanation Blade. It's Chainsaw. And so when it finally gets called something else, I'm like, what is that? Oh, yeah, Chainsaw. You know, so, um, anyway, I'm one of the side effects is my, my name recognition or recollect my name rec, the ability to recall name my ability to speak obviously is not going so good today um so we made the free mechanic uh oh the other big theme of the set was enchantments um so we did a bunch of things we put powerful enchantments at lower rarities you know like pestilence in common that, that was smart thinking um and then we um so we made two different uh, mechanics based on enchantments. Uh, one was what we called sleeping enchantments. This was a Mike Elliott creation. And the idea was, I'm an enchantment, uh, but when you do a certain thing, I wake up and become a creature. Um, and each color had its own kind of thing that had to get done. Like blue cared about spells, and green cared about permanents, and uh, I think black, you had life payments? Anyway, uh, so the idea was, here's enchantments, and then your opponent sort of had to, like, say, well, do you want to do this thing? Because if you do it, or sometimes if you were able to do something, you could wake this thing up. Um, uh, the other one was what we called growing spells. So Mike Elliott had made a card called Treasure Trove that was in um, Tempest. And I like Treasure Trove a lot. Basically what happened was Treasure Trove lets you grow, every turn you got to put a new counter on it. And uh, the more counters, the more cards you got to look at to pick what card you wanted. Um, and so, uh, I liked the idea of these growing enchantments, so I made some and put them into Urza Saga. Uh, I would later, by the way, do growing auras in Urza Destiny, but we'll talk about that when we get to Urza Destiny. Um, and so I made, I made those, um, I mean, the, the set had a lot, like I said, uh, cycling also worked really well with enchantments, because a lot of enchantments that were con- conditional that you could cycle away. So anyway, let me talk a little bit about some of the Interesting story for cards. So, two cards in the set were not supposed to be in the set and got changed at the last minute and it forced us to redesign them using the art already commissioned. So, one was Morphling. Morphling was originally going to be Clone. Uh, at the time, uh, the rules manager said Clone doesn't work and we had pulled Clone from sets. And we thought we had a new way to do Clone, so we were going to bring Clone back. That's why, if you look at the art, the art is a riff on clone. Um, but at the last minute, it turned out the rules manager was uncomfortable, so we changed the card. But we felt we needed to make a shapeshifter, so we made a creature that just could do a lot of things to change itself. That ended up becoming Morphling. Ended up being a pretty strong card. Um, 
The other card was Phyrexian Processor. Uh, originally, that was Clone Machine, what you guys might know as Soul Foundry from Mirrodin. Uh, the card where you uh, take a creature from your hand and exile it, and then you can make copies of that creature. Um, the technology at the time did not work. They didn't think I could exile a card and reference it. Anyway, later during Mirrodin, uh, I tried it again, and we were able to make it work. But uh, So we had to change it at the last minute, so we ended up saying, well, it makes creatures, uh, but instead of you using a card in your hand, well, what if you pay some life, and then it's as big as the life you pay? That, that was our, our fallback. Um, sneak Attack, let's see. Uh, what was sneak it was called uh, Blitzkrieg in design. Um, I'm a Johnny at heart. I, I think sometimes I make cards just because I'm excited to see what crazy thing you could do with it. And I think it was one of those cards where I just, I could imagine 8,000 fun things to do with it. And so I made it. Uh, I think the card ended up being a little more powerful than, than I had intended. Um, Yogmas Will is interesting. So Yogmas Will, so a lot of times you ask who made Yogmas Will. And this is interesting. I made Yogmas Will. And Mike Elliott made Yogmas Will. We both made the card independent of the other. Mike and I did this on our cycle as well in, uh, in um, Tempest Design. Like, we made the same card. Um, I know our cards were, like, a tiny bit different, but they were very close. My card was very much about casting things out of your graveyard, the same impetus that would lead me to make Flashback a little later. Um, I'm not sure where Mike went from. I, I, Mike might have been following a regrowth idea. Anyway, um, he and I made basically the same card, and then Michael just sort of combined them together in the file. Um, what else? Oh, Karn Silver Golem. Uh... So Karn, um, we had made a bunch of cards called Vanguard that let you um, start the game with a different hand size and maybe a different uh, life total, and it gave you, the player, an ability that you had for the whole game. And so uh, we decided at the time when we were doing this, since the Weatherlight Saga was what we were pushing, we were going to make all the Vanguard cards based on Weatherlight characters. And so we had this neat idea for a Vanguard card that animated all artifacts. Um, and so we ended up giving it to Karn because he made the most flavor sense. I mean, no one made perfect sense, but I'm like, okay, Karn had a tie to artifacts. Um, so when we were making his card in Urza Saga, like that card had been very popular and we kind of got swayed. And so we ended up making the card um, uh, have the same basic ability to animate artifacts. But uh, I was a stickler because in the story, Karn was a pacifist. Um, he was the gentle giant archetype, for those that care about story. Um, and so I knew he needed to be decently big because he was a giant golem, but I also knew that I didn't want him killing things. So that's when we came up with the whole, if he blocks, like he's hard to kill, uh, he gets plus zero, plus, minus four, plus four thing. So he's hard to kill because um, he's tough, but he himself doesn't harm things, and I wanted to reflect that. Um, let's see. Uh, Gilded Drake uh, was the same thing that led me to make, um, uh, what's it called, uh, the, from Tricks, uh, where you donate. Uh, and donate wouldn't show up till Urza's Destiny, which was a set that I made, uh, my, my set, all by myself. We'll, we'll talk about that one of these days. Um, but anyway, I like the idea of you having things that went to your opponent your opponent didn't necessarily want. And so, Gilded Drake was me kind of just playing around with, well, here, you get this, but you know, there's, there's, there's a negative thing that goes with it. Um, uh, and, anyway, plus, I like, I always like juxtapose. I liked exchanging things, so I thought that was kind of, anyway, I, that, that was one of my babies. Uh, Voltaic Key, 
So here's the thing I find interesting is sometimes you're trying to make a grandiose big card, and you do. And sometimes you're not. You're trying to make just a little dink. And, like, I was just trying to make, like, oh, well, it's a, it's this thing, and it just lets you kind of reuse your artifacts. And I really wasn't trying to make anything uh, broken or <laughs> problematic. I was just like, oh, this kind of cute little card has function. I love open-ended cards. I like cards that's like, what are you going to do with this? Hey, let's make it. Let the players try to figure it out. Um, you know, I always think that's kind of fun. Um, Fluctuator was me uh, wanting to build a deck with um, cycling. Uh, I just thought it was kind of neat that uh, to make a cycling enabler. Because a lot of cycling... Cycling didn't require you to play with a lot of cycling cards. It really was a mecha- mechanic where you just splash where you want to. And I just thought it would be neat to... Uh, to uh, say, hey, put a lot of cycling in your deck. And uh, another of my broken cards. It's funny, by the way, uh, I did not actually pass Richard until Mirrodin, but I, I have the lovely acclaim of having designed more banned slash restricted cards than anybody else in the game. Uh, Richard had a good jump, good head start, uh, and Urza Saga helped me, uh, but it, it was Mirrodin that put me over the top. Uh, I made all six artifact lands, for starters. Uh, so anyway... Uh, Fluctuator is another one of my uh, lovely contributions to the band list. Um, so, what else? Uh, Priest of Titania. I think that was a Mike Elliott creation. Um, I know that I was very gung-ho on Tribal. Um, it's something I... I uh, that, that's part of the Onslaught story. Um, but anyway, uh, I think Mike made that. Some chance I made it, but I'm going to give credit to Mike because something in the back of my head says that it was Mike and not me. So, by the way, one of the things is, sometimes as a designer, you remember cards you made, just because, whatever, it tickles your fancy, or something about it you just remember making. And sometimes you don't remember, because, whatever, you make a lot of cards. Uh, sometimes cards, like Yagmas Will, were, were more than one person's creation. Sometimes cards, one person made it, and one person tweaked it. Uh, so when people ask me if I've done cards, I know some of them, and I kind of know the more famous ones, because I've learned, I went back and looked. Like, for example, I didn't realize I made Sneak Attack. This is an interview with me in The Duelist, where I said I didn't make Sneak Attack, and one day, I'm going through the file, because um, what happened was, for Urza Saga, I made cards that I shipped to Mike, because he was a lead. And so one day, I'm just going through to see if I look for cards that I'd never made, and I see Blitzkrieg, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I made Sneak Attack. I had completely forgotten about it. Um, and the funny thing, that's my kind of card, you know, but I just didn't remember, and it wasn't until I went back and looked at my file that I handed in, that I'm like, oh yeah, I, I did in fact make this card. Um, and that happens a lot. Anyway, I'm pulling into the parking space here at work. Um, so I hope you guys had fun today chatting about Urza Saga. Um, I didn't even get to... Okay, I will finish my story. I will sit in my car to finish the story. Uh, the one final piece I did not talk about, which was the set broke in half and exploded and made combo winner and caused all sorts of problems with magic. Um, it's the one and only time that we ever got chewed out by the CEO uh, and threatened, too. We were told that if the set... If we did that again, we were going to be fired because it really, I mean, it, we broke magic in half. And it, I mean, to be fair to Peter, who's the CEO, uh, it, we already needed to do better. Uh, Urza Saga, I mean, there's a lot of exciting ideas. We made a lot of cool cards. And in the big picture of things, the, the block and the set is chock full of powerful things. Uh, but it, it is one of the things that led us down the path to realize that we needed to sort of change how we did development. Um, I think it directly led to, down the road, getting people like Randy Bueller, uh, uh, Mike Donay, 
Uh, and eventually, you know, Matt Place and Mike Turney and Eric Lauer and the whole idea of, of getting people off the pro tour that are established people with a proven track record to fit, figure out what's broken and how to fix it and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, we did. We got called into office. We got yelled at. Uh, it is one, one of the lows for me. Uh, like I said, I, I've never been that much of a developer, even when I was a developer. At least, I take it back. I'm a good developer. I'm not good at power level. I'm not good at that style of development. And so I did not... Uh, Urza Saga might be the all-time low point for development in Magic history. So being on the development team, uh, I just have to own up and say, uh, I think there's some fun design. I think there's some bad development. Uh, I'm responsible for some of each. So I will own up for that. Anyway, work beckons. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed my chat on Urza Saga today. Uh, and because it was raining, I think I, you got a little extra bonus material. Um, so anyway, I gotta go because it's time to make the magic cards. <laughs>